the council had put together a group of soldiers to go and arrest him. And when the soldiers went, they had the same experience that I had. Because when they came back empty-handed, they were inquired with and they asked, the question was asked, why did you come back without him? And here's what the soldiers said. They said, we were coming to get him, but as we approached, we heard him speaking and we realized no man has ever spoken like this man before. Happy Easter. It's Resurrection Sunday and Pastor Martin takes a different point of view in today's word entitled Nicodemus, Hope in the Savior. Follow along in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, and also chapter 19, verses 38 through 39. And let's listen as Pastor Martin explains. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Hello. My name is Nicodemus. And I want to share my story with you. I was once a leader of the Jews, one of the rulers and teachers in Israel. I was a part of a special council, the Sanhedrin. We were the rulers in our region. I want to share a story because today I want to inspire you by telling you that there is hope in the Savior. But I want to do that by telling you my story. It all began when we begin to hear about this young man from Nazareth. He was creating quite a stir. He was around teaching, but he was doing things that were gathering crowds. And everywhere he would go, people would come to see him perform miracles, but to listen to him teaching. But some of the things he was saying, we were not comfortable with. We, we were not okay with it because it was threatening to our place as rulers and the keepers 
of the information to the people. When I think back to it, I was always curious because he seemed to speak with an authority that no other had. So here's where my story begins. One night I wanted to talk with him. I was curious. I needed to know more. We were hearing him speak, but I needed to know more. And I, I, I asked an audience of him, but I needed to do that in private because it was, this was a contentious relationship between he and the Sanhedrin. So when I came into him, I spoke to him, and I, all, I acknowledged him because I wanted him to know that this was not a, a competition. I didn't come here to combatively. I didn't come here to combat with him or to argue, but I came here to learn because I addressed him as rabbi, which is translated teacher or my teacher. So once I came to him, I said to him, I said, Rabbi, we know that you are from God because no one can do the things that you're doing unless God is with him. But then he flipped the script. I came with the question but he began to answer things I didn't ask. Because he responds by saying to me, you must be born again. He says, unless you've been born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And I was puzzled by this, so I asked him for clarity. I said, now, sir, help me understand, how can a man who was old be born again. And now that I think back on it, it was a bit foolish of me to ask, but I said to him, I said, uh, shall I enter back into my mother's womb? And then he explained. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you will hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. This gripped me because he answered my question and he said something, he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, and I should not marvel, he said this again, don't marvel that I'm saying to you, you must be born again. As I stood there, puzzled by what he had already stated, then he hearkened back to something that I was very familiar with. When the children, when our people were traveling out of Egypt, at one point, 
our ancestors rebelled against God. And plague came in and sickness came in and there were those that were dying. And God told Moses, as they were being bitten by serpents, God told Moses to actually make a bronze serpent and lift it up. And all the people who looked up were saved. Then he said this, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that anyone believes in him should have everlasting life. Now that had me already. I, my, my, my interest is peaked, but, but then he goes on to say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And now I'm stuck. Because he's now speaking of even my salvation. He says, God loves the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but has everlasting life. As I'm there in this moment, he goes on to say, he speaks about light and how Light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because of their deeds. And, and as I'm standing there listening to him, I'm puzzled because I didn't get a single question out. <laughs> but I have what I believe all the answers I needed. As I left, I just kept thinking about it. It consumed me everywhere I went. Every time I would hear that he was around, it would stir me that he had said these things to me that night. Then sometime later, the council had put together a group of soldiers to go and arrest him. And when the soldiers went, they had the same experience that I had because when they came back empty-handed, they were inquired with and they asked, the question was asked, why did you come back without him? And here's what the soldiers said. They said, we were coming to get him, but as we approached, we heard him speaking and we realized no man has ever spoken like this man before. Now the council was stirred and they were angry because they, had a, they sent the soldiers to do a job that they would not do and so they were angry. But then I said something because something in me stood up because they wanted to actually arrest him without a trial. So I said, doesn't our, does our law allow for us to try a man 
before he's been heard or to hear what he's doing. And after they scolded me, we ended our session. But as I walked, I continued to wander. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that you must be born again. Because salvation is from the Jews and I'm a, a Jew and I'm not just a Jew, I'm a, a leader of the Jews. I'm a teacher of the Jews. But he says that my flesh won't save me. My heritage won't save me. That unless I, I've been born into my place amongst God's chosen people. But he says, I must be born of the Spirit. But now Jesus' fame was growing. This Jesus of Nazareth, this young man was creating a fuss everywhere he went. Crowds were clamoring to hear and to see him. And ultimately, it was troubling. It was troubling to them because I was glad to see what was going on. Then one day, One Sunday, it all began to come to a head. It was the Passover and there were those who had come to Jerusalem and it was a big festive time and everyone was excited. But then we were beckoned to come down to see this spectacle. Jesus was riding in on a donkey. But it wasn't just that he was riding in on a donkey. All of the people were shouting and rejoicing and saying, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And here's where it became a problem because they began to lay their clothing down in his path. They began to lay down palm branches in his path. That's a problem because that's a king's welcome. That was a king's welcome, but Jesus is from Nazareth. And no good thing comes out of Nazareth. There is no kingly heritage out of Nazareth. But then we rushed out and they declared to Jesus, Jesus, tell your disciples to stop what they're doing. And Jesus, he looked over, he says, if they stop, these very stones will begin to praise me. I said, oh. 
But then it was determined, the high priest said, we've got to find a way to stop him. That all of our public debates have failed. Our effort to send a troop to arrest him has failed. We've got to find a way to get to him. But we can't do it publicly because if we go in after him, the crowds will go crazy. Did you just see what they just did? So then it was introduced. Let's get to him through one of his followers. And we devised a plan to get a young man by the name of Judas Iscariot. And we said, Judas, here's what we need. We need to get Jesus, but we can't do it openly and publicly because the crowds may go into a riot. We need you to help. And we'll give you 30 pieces of silver. Judas agreed, and he said he would let us know. The night that it happened, my understanding is he had gathered his 12 closest disciples and they were having a special meal before the Passover. Gee, Judas came rushing and said, tonight is the night. He's going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane. We went down, we took him and he was taken off to trial. First, he had to come and stand before the Sanhedrin. While he's standing there, we are questioning him, and he says to us, he says, if I were to tell you, you're not going to believe me anyway, so I'm not going to say anything. I should have done something because they started to bring witnesses in, making false claims that I had not heard him say. I didn't hear that he was doing those things. And they were making false claims, trying to build a case against him. After realizing that the only way to stop him was to kill him. But we didn't have the power to do that because we were under Roman rule. And the only person in the region of Judea to do that was Pontius Pilate. So we sent him to Pilate. But it seems that Pilate was reluctant to actually do anything because everything we brought up, he continued to say, well, I don't really see how that affects Rome. Then we had him because, remember he rode in like a king? Someone said, he said he is the king of the Jews and there's only one king and that is Caesar. But Pilate said, isn't he from Galilee? Oh, that's Herod's jurisdiction. Send him over to Herod. Herod had him, and Herod mocked him, but he was excited to see him because he had hoped to see him. He'd heard about him, but he wanted to see who he was. 
after mocking Jesus, he sent him back to Pilate. But Pilate's wife had had a dream. And in that dream, when she came out of that dream, she said, Pilate, you cannot kill this innocent man. He is special. You don't want to touch him. So Pilate didn't want to touch him, however, but he was now placed in an awkward position because he's there to represent Caesar. And if Caesar heard that someone was claiming a throne within the kingdom, he would be the one that would pay. So Pilate says, I've got a plan, and I think this one will work. He says, listen, every year I have the tradition of releasing to you all one of our prisoners. So Pilate grabbed one of the worst ones. He grabbed a menace to society. And he says, here is Barabbas, the one that's robbed you and stole from you, the one you can't trust. Here is Barabbas. And he says, and then here is Jesus of Nazareth. Whom do you choose? And it broke my heart because I thought this would surely get him off. They said, give us Barabbas. Here's the Jesus who had healed the sick, raised the dead. At one point, he fed 5,000 of them, I hear, from a little boy's lunch. And another time, he fed 4,000 of them. And in either case, not including the women and children, he fed them, he healed them, and yet they were choosing Barabbas. And when, now the had, and when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Pilate had found him innocent. He declared, I find no fault in this man. And yet, they were shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. I was very, very disturbed because the Romans' death penalty was cruel. But then, because it was such an anger against Jesus, it seemed to all be intensified. Intensified for this good man 
So they whipped him. And they whipped him. And then they did something that I thought was cruel, but now I'm grateful for. Because the standard means of the crucifixion or to die on the stake was to hang a man up, tie his hands up, and place him on a little pedestal. And as he begins to tire, he would sink. And as he would begin to sink down from being fatigued, he would suffocate himself. But in Jesus' case, they did not use rope. They nailed his hands to the cross. And they nailed his feet to the cross. I didn't know at the time that all that he was doing and all that he was, was happening to him was just for me. Because he was innocent and yet dying for my for the sins of the world, because he had declared that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But now I had a moment, a turmoil within, because I kept saying I should have done more. Why did I stand up for him? Why didn't I do more? I should have stood up. I should have said something. And there were others with me. There were others with me on that council who believed, why didn't we do something? Why did we allow them to kill him like we did? The reason was it had already been declared that if anyone associated with this Jesus they'd be kicked out of the synagogue. And at that point, it was my moment of reckoning because now I was rich because of my position. I had status. I had position in society. I would lose it all because if I were to associate with him, I would have lost it all. But then I heard about Joseph, who was also on the council, but Joseph was talking about going and claiming his body. But I thought, Joseph, man, that'd be, that's going to destroy your career. Why, why would you do that? But then I realized, why not? So I asked Joseph, Joseph, can I go with you? If you supply the burial site, I'll supply the spices for the body. And we went to Pilate and we requested 
to take the body. Because we had both decided we would not be in secret anymore. We decided that we would not be in secret any longer. That we would make ourselves known. But we went to get the body. We prepared it. And we put it in the tomb. But it was somber because as we were all there, wondering how tragic it was, we went through this Sabbath and it was a very somber Sabbath. But then there was a word. Early Sunday morning, there was a word. The word was, he rose. He, he rose. The, the word was that he, he wasn't in the tomb, that some of the disciples and some of the ladies that would follow him, they had run to the tomb and he was not there. But here's what they said. There was an angel said, why do you seek Jesus? Who? The, Jesus of Nazareth. He is not dead. He has risen. Just like he said he would. He has risen just like he said he would. See, the, the reason that I'm excited to tell my story because I lost it all. I was put off of the Sanhedrin Council. I was forbidden to even go to the very synagogue that I'd gone often. Those who were a part of my community, they began to disown me. But I found community with others who believed. See, I, I say I lost it all because all that I had, I put it on the line. But here's what I did. I realized something because what profit it is for a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul. So what seems like my loss is actually my gain. Because then it came back to me. He said that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. So only one that can provide eternal life could raise from the dead. Or only one who could provide eternal life had to be one that could live forever himself. I started out by saying, there is hope in the Savior. 
And I want to end my story by telling you, there is hope in the Savior. That hope is in God's love for mankind. First John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Here's what the Word of God records. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Today we celebrate resurrected Savior. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.